Hello and welcome to She's Creative with me, Claire Hodgson. Each episode, I chat to a different woman or non-binary person who works in the media or publishing industries, discovering how they turned creativity into a career. If you enjoy the podcast, I would love it if you could rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. It really helps boost us in the charts. If you would like to support the podcast, you can buy me a coffee on coffee.com slash she's creative pod. That's ko fi.com slash she's creative pod. My guest on this episode is writer Megan Nolan. Her debut novel, Acts of Desperation, was published last month, becoming a Times bestseller and being named as a book of 2021 by the likes of The Observer and Stylist. She is a columnist for The New Statesman and has written essays, fiction and reviews for The New York Times, The Sunday Times and The Guardian. Thanks for coming on the podcast, Megan. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. No problem. Thank you. Just to start things off, where did you grow up and what did your parents do for a living? I grew up in Waterford in Ireland, which is a small city on the southeast coast. Um, So it's not, I don't know what the population is, but it's one of these places that is technically a city because it has a cathedral in it, but (laughs) it's not, you know, what you'd usually think of as a city. Um, So I grew up there and my parents, uh, my mum, did a few different jobs when I was growing up so when I was quite small she worked as a barmaid and then um, she moved into like administration of adult education and then into other kind of community projects so she was an administrator for for community um, outreach programs to do with kids and like homework clubs and things like that Um, and my dad is uh, in theatre so he works as a when I was a very small kid he he co-founded a theatre company called Little Red Kettle, sorry, called Red Kettle, um, and with a children's theatre company attached to it called Little Red Kettle. And um, he was the artistic director of that company and he wrote plays and then he left to do full-time um, of his own work when I was about 10 or so. So yeah, he at the moment he writes and directs plays and he does lots of other little jobs in between to make up the bills. So he does mm. like um, audio documentaries and... Um, research and editing you know but just little jobs mm-hmm. here and there like most of us do yeah do you think that your dad's work kind of um helped inspire you to want to be a writer yeah I think I mean I've never written for theatre myself I don't have any intention to in in the immediate future anyway but um I loved being around his his workplaces you know like the atmosphere of his rehearsal rooms and um and also yeah his his way of working was uh, that he would go away a little bit every summer usually and he would rent somewhere and you know to and take three or four weeks and and just concentrate on his on whatever new play he had coming out and definitely that's something that I do as well it's you know it's important to me to get out of my normal routine to concentrate um and yeah also just obviously it's valuable to have a parent who who makes a living from the arts Mm -hmm. yeah when when did you know yourself that you wanted to be a writer um it's a bit of a funny one that I've tried to think about this recently because I I always wanted to write like from the time that I can remember you know as a small kid seven eight nine sort of time but I suppose there's a bit of a difference in 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 terms of like I never thought that I wouldn't write but I assumed it would be uh in my spare time or it'd be something Mm -hmm. you know I I would only do occasionally so there's sort of two parts of my life where I always knew I'd be a writer from the time I was very small but then I only thought maybe I could do it for a job in maybe 2017, 18. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
And how did you first get involved in um, writing professionally? Um, so it's sort of a long time coming, I guess. Like it, it seemed to all happen very fast, but in reality, when I think about it, that it had a lot of um, groundwork that I, I wasn't really terribly conscious of. So, so when I moved to Dublin when I was about 18, 19, now this wasn't paid, but the first ever thing that I wrote that was like, you know, for something beyond myself, I used to write film reviews and write-ups for um for for like a free sheet event guide you know um and that was just because I really liked films so I wanted to get into the screenings but it was a good way to get into you know in, into well just for my own pleasure into the screenings but also to, to have some sort of format and editor and all that kind of thing um and then I mean I wouldn't even have thought to submit anywhere from for payment until a really long time after that um I guess because mostly I was writing like creative work then you know like poetry and um more abstract things that that you know you, you won't you won't get paid for realistically unless you're already an established writer and then it wasn't until maybe I was um I started writing essays when I was about 23 24 and then when I moved to London in 2015 when I was 25 that's about the time that Mm, oh yeah not not immediately but yeah around that sort of times when I started to realize that you could just pitch people and that maybe sometimes you would get something picked up um so it was around that sort of time I started thinking about it and then it probably took another you know a few years to really get going mm -hmm. when at what point would you say that most of your work was um was coming from writing most of your uh, income was coming from writing um not that long ago really um so up until the biggest change for me I started to okay so to preface this I didn't have any like other full-time stable job ever when I moved to London I was temping mm -hmm. so I would be temping and then and then in 2016 started to like tentatively write alongside that but very little um and then I think it was maybe late 2017, I decided to like try and make a go of freelancing. Mm -hmm. But that didn't, that didn't really mean that I stopped any of the temping or it meant that I stopped some of the temping, but it didn't um, mean that I was only thinking about writing. Um, basically, I would take it as it came and I would like, um, if I had a lean month, then I knew I had to find temp work pretty urgently, you know? So I just would kind of take it on a month by month basis about how, how many commissions I got that month and try and forecast what income I would mm -hmm. get the next month but then so yeah I didn't stop temp work until um it might even have been as recently as I think it was the spring of 2019 that sort of time um mm -hmm. maybe even later you know but yeah around around mid mid 2019 I would say is the last stint of temping that I did do you think doing that temp work is quite um a good way for people to balance um, their writing career? Um, I think it depends on A, if you have any dependents and financial commitments, which I didn't beyond my rent and, you know, taking care of myself. Um, it's not, you know, you couldn't really, if you did have a serious other obligation, like a child or, or a dependent, I don't think you could, mm -hmm. because it's so precarious. Um, it was okay, but not ideal for me insofar as like, um, I I mean in retrospect it was a very stressful period of my life but I'm I, I felt like 
averagely able to deal with that kind of living situation where I didn't really know where the money was coming from until it came. Mm-hmm. Um, and some people are just temperamentally not suited to that because it's too stressful to not know exactly where the money's coming from. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think if you are relatively relatively accepting of of like needing to change a lot to like adapt to circumstances, it's a good way because I mean, yeah, it was important for me to not have if I had a nine to five job where I had to go there every day. I think I would have found it really difficult to start writing the novel then. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like um, as you were saying before about um, it being harder to get paid to write things like poetry and things like that. What advice would you give to young writers that maybe write more uh, fiction and are trying to to they want to get paid for it? Um, I mean, <laughs> I don't. <laughs> I have no idea because I didn't do that really until I sold the book. You know, I've never mm-hmm. been paid for any fiction until I completed an entire novel first. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know if I'm sure that does happen, but um, I guess the only thing that I'm aware of that you could be doing is um, arts council applications really. And, and also prizes, mm-hmm. both of which I'm completely useless at. So I don't have any advice because I'm, I'm just very bad at, motivating myself to apply to things if I don't really have to um and because I always did have you know waged work that didn't have to do with writing I was never in a position where I was like absolutely urgently trying to make money from fiction or anything um but yeah I think some some writers I know who are more dogged about applying to things you know they'll always have some prize that they're entering and they'll always have art cancel applications on the go Mm -hmm. I think those are the only realistic things I don't think you're gonna get commercial payment for fiction until you've written something finished already you know Mm -hmm. I think the way it works as far as I'm aware is that unless you're already a famous person or you have an established writing career you won't really get payment for a novel before you've written a draft of it you know. Would you say that your first kind of um, foray into writing was that mainly through your essays or were you writing um, features as well at the start? Um, do you mean in my whole life or just as getting paid for it? Just getting paid for it, I would say. Um, when I first started getting paid, it was just opinion pieces, really. Mm-hmm. Um, that was it. And then, um, yeah, and then kind of, I mean, obviously there's a crossover between that and essays. So um, when I got a few bylines under my belt, I started to get more commissions for slightly less, like, hot take type things. Mm-hmm. Um, initially you know if you're if you're not known as a writer you're most likely to get given assignments that I mean unless you have an area of expertise which you know I didn't really um you're quite likely to get asked to write quick turnaround um quite short opinion pieces so yeah I probably did maybe like eight or ten of those before I did anything else I would say. How did you first approach editors? Mm. The very first thing I ever wrote for for a publication in, in Britain was actually through Twitter. So the, the editor approached me in that case purely because she knew that I was Irish and it was something to do with um, with Ireland or, or Catholicism mm-hmm. that she wanted um, an Irish person to write. So that was just a, a case of pure luck. But um, after that, I 
I'm trying to think exactly what the next one was that I actually had to pitch. I think it would have been either Vice or ID or something like that. And um, again, it would have been a case of me knowing who the editors were via their via Twitter mm-hmm. um, and and just cold emailing them. Um, or potentially, I can't remember to be honest, but I, potentially I could have DM'd them on Twitter. I can't remember, um, which I wouldn't really advise, but it's possible that I did do. Um, but yeah, so it's it's it was definitely just um, finding out who the right department was and who worked there, and then and then cold pitching at that point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And at that time, were you writing a lot on like a blog or a medium or anything like that? Um, yeah, I wasn't updating it super frequently, but I had a medium, and um, I had started to keep that in twenty fourteen. So you you know maybe a year or two years before I started pitching editors. Um, and there was maybe maybe like eight essays on that of a, you know that, that were like two three thousand words long, um, mm-hmm. and they were all quite you know I would only put up stuff that I thought was was definitely good, and I, I didn't like update it with little things just what I thought was worth um, showing off or whatever. But um, and I think I think I would have probably sent those as examples of um, mm-hmm. of writing when I was pitching. There was also I just remember that there was one other thing that this was like a sort of a literary journal rather than a commercial enterprise. But when I was in Dublin, there was a magazine there that had published two essays of mine. So I did have that as well. That was unpaid though, but I had them to, to show to editors as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, I, I really like how um, candid you are in your essays. And I just wondered if you think, is that something you've learned over time or does that just kind of come naturally to you? Um, I think when I started writing, I wasn't like anticipating an audience very much. So I just did whatever. Um, um, and also when I started writing essays in like 2013, 14, um, I was doing quite a lot of spoken word things in Dublin and performance events and stuff. Uh, so actually a lot of them were written with that in mind, where you're only really thinking about like the 20 or 30 people who are going to hear it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's like maybe why I started writing in that style. And then, I don't know, if you, if you don't like have a really broad knowledge of like literary styles, it just felt like the most natural thing for me to do really. It wasn't, it wasn't like very considered. I would say it's just like the way it came out naturally mm-hmm. and, I, and I went with it, yeah. When did you first start doing um, readings and performances? Um, I'd say it would have been... 2012, 13, probably. Mm-hmm. So when I was about 22 or 23, um, there was a really healthy scene in Dublin at the time. There was lots of different kinds of um, of reading events. And then, oh yeah, it was just, you know, a lot of these things are always just through friends kind of thing. But um, mm-hmm. um, so there was like a really healthy spoken word scene in Dublin and, um, a friend of mine was running a comedy night, so I would like read some kind of comedic essays at that. I think that was probably the first time I ever did anything um, performance-wise, and that would have been, tw- yeah, I guess, what was that, 2010 even, maybe. Um, yeah, I was quite young. And mm-hmm. um, and yeah, just from there, did other um, not comedy um, performance events after that for, for a couple of years, until, until I left Dublin, really. Do you think that kind of thing can lead to other work or just exposure 
Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, and also just like, you know, other people who will be on in the audience will run their own things. And that's how I got a lot of subsequent um, invitations to do readings. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for me, obviously this isn't the case for everyone, but for me, like the reading, I was I was writing to read them out loud, as I say, but then mm-hmm. obviously you end up with you, like what you've written, you can then reformat into a written piece that you put on Medium or whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. And um what do you have any advice for people that want to start getting into spoken word? Um, I think honestly, it's such a well, in my experience, only I've only experienced in Dublin, obviously, but um, it is kind of an open arena, you know. Like, if you go to them, that's about the only first step you need to take. I think if you go to them, any, any that I've ever been at, they make it clear that if you'd like to do something in the future, then just speak to them at the end and that kind of thing. So, it's just attendance, really, is the only thing I would say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. Um, so you've lived in Dublin and London and New York as well. Is that right? No, I, I, I just, no, I was on like a kind of longish visit to New York. but I never Okay, yeah. 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 Do you think that um, living in bigger cities, do you think that can be helpful for, for people um, to get further in their career? Yeah, unfortunately it is um, helpful. Yeah. Um, or I, I found it to be so anyway. Um, I think it depends on what your area of interest is, obviously, but um, for the sort of thing that I, I was interested in, in terms of doing readings, especially, obviously, London is like very good mm-hmm. for that and has like um, no shortage of events you can turn up to and speak to people about getting involved in. So, yeah, I felt a big difference in in like the, the level, even going from Dublin to, to London, there was an obvious mm-hmm. um, scaling up of what I could try and approach people about. How much do you think um, networking in person has has uh, benefited your career? Um, with writing, actually, very very little. I think um, mm. the some of the performance stuff I did at the beginning was in like an art context and was putting on was put on in galleries. And with that, I found I did like meet people in person at, at openings and. Um, and that led to me doing some stuff with other artists. But actually with writing, I don't think I met anyone before I, I had a career already, really. I, you know, I, I would have um, met them through Twitter sometimes, and that would have been helpful with like, getting to know editors and who they were. But um, I kind of think it's a bit overblown as the necessity, or I, I've never mm-hmm. felt it very necessary anyway. You've also, you've written obviously for big publications like the New York Times and the Sunday Times. Do you think it can be a strategy for people to just pitch cold to those kind of places? Or do you think it's more about being approached or building a relationship with an editor? Um, It's just a bit hit and miss, I think. I think like, mm-hmm. I, know, I know people who've approached the New York Times totally cold and they didn't have any pre-existing relationship and got published by them. So it definitely happens. Um, I think obviously just like the scale of, correspondence these people get is enormous so like it's not going to be surprising if you if they never read your email unfortunately um but it's worth trying definitely like that's how I got you know like the first thing in the Guardian and um yeah in in, in most of the publications I've worked for it's been mm-hmm. through, through cold pitching really um with the New York Times it was a bit different because it was on a certain issue again that was to do with um 
it was like a, well I guess yeah the other thing is if if it's if it's timely then they will probably read your email so it's a good mm-hmm. idea to so like if there if there is something that's happening right now then you should definitely pitch someone at these publications and um you have a column for the new statesman mm-hmm. how did that come about um I just was approached by uh Anna who's who's the who's my editor there and she um took me for a meeting with with herself and the deputy editor and uh they were looking for new I don't know if it was necessarily younger but definitely just like new voices for the magazine mm-hmm. um and initially it, it wasn't a column in the print magazine it was just a sort of um regular thing on on the website and it wasn't it wasn't super specific um but it was t- hooked to uh initially it was hooked to books so it would be like um every two weeks I would write something that had something to do with the book and then mm-hmm. as it went on um and it was going well they offered me the magazine column um and it could be about anything at that point so yeah they they were just looking to to, to change the diversity of voices in, the, in mm-hmm. the magazine yeah how do you come up with ideas for your column is it fortnightly or mm-hmm. yeah yeah it's fortnightly um it's either like totally like brainless and easy and it comes to me you know without any need to think about it or it's like a bit draining to try and bring something Mm -hmm. out like especially during lockdown obviously like nothing's happening to me so um there are some weeks where you're just talking about how how nothing's happening again and Mm -hmm. You know, there's some other like angles that obviously it's not always just going to be I am bored. But um, yeah, it's been hard the last year. I found it hard anyway. Um, but I don't know, to answer your question, I guess, like on, it's usually on a Monday I like sit down and think about it. And um, I just think about what I've been reading and doing for the last week. And if anything that I've thought about is worth thinking about more. Um, I know it's not very specific, but um yeah, I just like think on the last week that I've had and if anything came into my mind during that week, basically. Yeah, it seems like something that um, can be easier certain weeks than others. Yeah, and, like, definitely. Because yeah. other writers have definitely said that it's actually really hard to think of something to say each week because it's, mm. you've not always got something new going on. No. Um, you've also written a lot of reviews. You were talking about reviews earlier. I feel like that's something which younger writers find quite hard to start getting paid for you know um Mm. do you have any advice for trying to like progress in that kind of um space um trying to think what the first reviews I did were um I guess I mean the most basic but important thing is like if there's whatever area it is that you're interested in reviewing in you should be like talking and writing a lot about it already before you're you're trying to review. So mm-hmm. I think the first place that I did a review for was for literary review, and it was just a short, you know, five hundred word book review. Um, but I would have been like tweeting and talking about books a lot before that happened. I don't think you have to be like a world expert on the subject to be a reviewer on it, but obviously you need to have like a pre existing interest and love for the subject so I think really the yeah the most important thing is to like have that evident in your in your writing portfolio and your presence online if you have one. Mm-hmm. 
what um what I've definitely heard from other writers and from what you've said yourself it seems like Twitter is such um can be such an important tool for things like finding work and and networking and things like that how much have you found that it helps you uh yeah enormously at the beginning so when I started freelancing if if you like really as I was I I would literally wake up every day and be like okay what can I write today for 100 Mm -hmm. quid and I wasn't I wasn't like super fussy about what I was going to do it's like if if you're following all the editors that you like of the publications that you can probably pitch to you'll relatively frequently see them do call-outs for things they want written. Mm-hmm. So, you know, stuff like that. Um, editors seeing things that I'd written that I'd posted on Twitter, all that was very helpful at the beginning. Um, I think once you have a bit of um, security in, in it, you don't really use it in the same way anymore. But yeah, as, as, a, as a person starting out, it was very important for me. Yeah, that's great. And um, at what point did you start writing the book? Uh, it was the, the, I wrote the first part of it in the autumn of 2016. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And had you been writing any other kind of um, like short stories or any other fiction before that? Uh, yeah, I'd written stories, but not loads, to be honest. Um, like maybe four and none of them published anywhere. And uh, I'd, I'd read some of them at, at events, but they were sort of... Um, I don't know there was two of them that were like definitely just like straight on fiction but then the others were a bit more just like essays crossed with fantasy sort of um so yeah basically I didn't have a lot of experience writing fiction and your book Acts of Desperation it's obviously been such a success and it's had rave reviews and it's been translated into eight languages Mm -hmm. um can you tell the listeners about about your book yeah so it's um the story of a relationship um, from kind of from beginning to end between the narrator who's an unnamed woman in her early 20s in Dublin and she meets this man called Kieran and he's very beautiful and very um, charismatic and magnetic but also very cruel and very sort of forbidding and um, doesn't give her anything in terms of affection or or any or anything really um, mm-hmm. and it's sort of about how that relationship she sacrifices all of her identity in order to be in the relationship and uh and loses a lot to to try and win his love from him um uh yeah that's it sort of but yeah so it's it's uh all from the the perspective of of the narration Mm -hmm. great yeah um yeah I really loved the book by the way Uh, I thought it was great um yeah how did you get the idea for the book um it was something I'd been like the theme of it was something I'd been sort of writing around in my essays which was to do with um like sacrificing yourself to get love or to to be successful in a relationship um and how especially I mean it's not a totally gendered thing but how especially for women it's a thing that happens that you mm-hmm. um you know forego your own identity in order to be in in this dynamic with someone else so it was something I've been thinking about as it's as a problem in in life and then I just decided that the way that I wanted to explore that problem and that that you know area of interest was through one love story told from beginning to end and obviously I didn't want to and nor could I have done it from my own life because um, I didn't have a story like that, you know, uh, that, that was so extreme and dramatic as the one with Kieran. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I just figured that that's what I wanted to do and I had to make it up to do that. So that was it, really. How much um, planning did you do 
for the novel before you started writing or did you just kind of jump straight in? Um, the first instance I kind of jumped straight in and I wrote about like 10,000 words. That was actually the, the end section of the book as, as it's read now. But, um, but after that, so yeah, I did that without any planning at all really. Mm-hmm. And then, and you know, you're just sort of trying things out and you might throw away quite a lot of that. I think I threw away quite a lot of that first bit. And then once I was sort of into it properly, I did need to plot it out a bit. And I, I would just like write on A3 bits of card, like, you know, plot out all the different beats of their relationship. Um, so, yeah, I did know pretty much exactly what would happen. Um, you know, not not down to the paragraph or anything, but in terms of the, the events of their relationship, I knew what would happen as I started it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you have anyone do you have any advice for someone that's trying to plan out a novel um I'd say start broad you know you don't have to start with this like very into the plotting you can start with like five points of a plot you know as in if if I was to start plotting my book it would be like if if I was to do it in brief you know it'd be like oh okay narrator meets Kieran Kieran break up uh, home for Christmas, move in together, and you know, so on. And, that, and it could just be like five points. It doesn't need to be like really, you know, hardcore minute by minute planning. Because otherwise, I think you get you risk getting like overwhelmed by the project mm-hmm. ahead of you or whatever. So yeah, I'd say I'd say start start in a, in a brief one, and then and then try and go mm-hmm. into it further as you move along. Yeah. What was your kind of writing routine like when you were writing it? it changed quite a lot because um like I was obviously working full-time so um freelancing doing writing work and doing doing the temp jobs um and uh so yeah usually I would try and like go away somewhere for a month or a few weeks um every three or four months I would try and do that and you know it could be like I did a lot of cat sitting for friends and Mm -hmm. I went to my boyfriend at the time had his parents had a house in the country so I like went there for a couple of weeks um that sort of thing just like wherever you could find some some time to yourself um but then you know apart from that when I was in London sometimes just like in bed at night after work but not I mean I don't have the energy to do that after work mostly um I sometimes I just take my laptop to the pub and like go to the beer garden on a Saturday afternoon and just like spend Mm -hmm three or four hours doing that I mean it's just I mean as it is for everyone really you just do it wherever you can find the time it's not um it's not something I had a schedule for at all did you did you find that that kind of um writer's retreat style like solitude do you think that really helped get get more work done yeah not 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 just because of productivity but also because you need the sort of intensity of the headspace you know Mm -hmm. um and luckily I live alone now so I'm able to like get that more more in my home life than I was able to Mm -hmm. back then but but I lived in like busy share houses then you know so it was necessary for me to go somewhere quiet yeah yeah um from you know when you started it to when you finished it how long did that take roughly uh three years almost exactly Mm -hmm. and was that like during that time were you kind of constantly writing or were you like picking it back up or no, yeah, there was there was like stretches where I did nothing for maybe I think there was probably even six seven months when I did nothing at all. Um, 
just just when I could and mm-hmm. had the ability to really you know like I I didn't really kill myself over it because I it no one was waiting for it really mm-hmm. you know like it didn't really matter when I did finish it even though I would have back then I would have preferred to finish it sooner but um it didn't really matter when I finished it mm-hmm. so um and also I just don't like to work that much you know like I don't like to work yeah. more than I have to work so if I was like busy trying to make money then I wasn't also going to spend 20 hours a week on on mm-hmm. writing a novel um so yeah I did it like in a way that felt doable and pleasurable for mm-hmm. me or whatever once you had the finished piece how did you go about approaching agents I had an agent all the way through so mm-hmm. she had signed me um before I started the book she had heard me read read a, an essay at this performance thing in in South London and um she had signed me on the back of that but then you know like so for an an agent like it doesn't um she doesn't make any money from me unless I sell something but also she doesn't necessarily have to like ostensibly she she doesn't she shouldn't have to do anything for me either until I give her a finished draft mm-hmm. but actually as it happened Harriet did a lot for me during it as well um and you know edited um sections of the book and um read it as I was going along so when I had finished the draft she she had already you know had oversight on it while I was working on it so mm-hmm. then she she sent it to to the publishers then how uh, how common would you say that is that someone is um signed up before they start writing compared to when they've finished it uh I think if you had no writing career at all then it would be very unlikely but because I already had um a writing practice and you know um a bit of uh, not loads but but some journalism portfolio already on the go and a relatively high number of essays that she could read first. Mm-hmm. That was what made it happen. I think if you'd never written anything at all, then you you probably won't get an agent, you know. Um, but I, I don't think what happened to me is, is that unusual. I think there's always agents looking for interesting new young people, you know. Mm-hmm. And you're talking about the editing process. Um, what is that kind of process like for those that, that wouldn't know? Um... With Harriet, it was like, it was less like line by line and more just, um, you know, uh, this bit this bit doesn't work, consider taking it out and then I either would mm-hmm. or I wouldn't. Mm-hmm. Um, then when it came to the publishers editing it, it was obviously a different matter because it's obviously more involved at that stage. So um, they did the same sort of thing as in they, they did a sort of rough edit at first where they suggested things that mainly rather than coming out needed to be added. So they might say, you know, there's this character, but we don't hear enough about her. Can you put in an extra chapter here where we'd learn more about X, Y, and Z? And then, and then they do line edits after that where they'll cut paragraphs and lines and smaller things. And then you approve that and, you know, either do or don't accept the changes. And then there's a copy edit where it's just, you know, the the more nitty gritty um, grammar and punctuation and spelling and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, that's really interesting. And um, so you released the book. The book was released last month. Was that quite, um, was it quite surreal that it was being released during a pandemic? Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was like, obviously it was great. um, And 
I have a bubble because I live alone. So I was able to like have my friends from that round and have a drink and stuff. But yeah, it was pretty lonely and like not great to be honest. Um, Cause I don't know, I've been like most of, most of COVID has been like not that bad, but obviously the period since like November, December has been really bad. And especially cause I live alone, I just like haven't had a normal life for a long time. So it felt quite hard to like enjoy what was happening really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Do you have um, any advice for authors when they're approaching that kind of um, book release date? Um, I don't know. It's sort of hard because like I didn't start experiencing anything about it until it was happening already, sort of. Um, I guess the only thing I would say is like be mindful of your own time and like say no to things you want to because I got really overwhelmed the first the like week before, during and after. So like that's three weeks, which is not an inconsequential amount of time. Um, just like doing too many things and, you know, like doing too many interviews and events or whatever. And um, obviously like you have to do them, but you have to do some of them. But um, the pace for me as somebody who's like not the most mentally well of people was really not ideal. And it meant that like, I couldn't do any other work whatsoever for those three weeks. So, yeah, if I was doing it again, I guess I would, like, be more, like, precious of my time and, like, mm-hmm. insist that I only did a couple of things a day rather than, you know, on, on like, the mm-hmm. worst day, there might have been, like, five different things to do and I, and I wasn't really able to handle that. So I think it's good to be, um, to, like, have boundaries about your time, basically. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Are you working on another book at the moment? Yeah, I'm just getting into it now properly. Um, I've been doing some research and planning for the last few months, but it's only really getting going at the moment. So I'll be doing that for the next probably at least six months and then um, probably redrafting and editing for ages after that. But yeah, so that's what I'll be doing for the rest of the year. Great. Um, Is there anything you can tell me about it? Uh, Just as I haven't really got into it yet, there's probably Mm -hmm. nothing solid, but it's a bit, it's quite different to Act of Desperation in that it's like... um, it's got a wider it's got a, you know whereas acts of desperation was just this one person's perspective this is a wider cast of characters mm. and of the family drama and you know it's a bit of a different project so yeah it's interesting great sounds good and um just to finish things off what general advice would you give to aspiring writers um i think that for me the most important thing in retrospect was that like i never needed to feel inferior to people and to feel like cowed by editors and other writers who are already established and it's like a natural thing to feel when you've got nothing behind you and you're totally you know blank slate and you you don't have anything to back you up but I think it's if you can at all it's really valuable to to like not feel intimidated by by those people because frankly a lot of people who make it in any industry but also definitely in in the media and writing like don't don't like bear out their success with talent and, and there's lots of other reasons for people to get successful so I would say try and not to try not to feel like you're this is like sort of a horrible way to put it but I always felt like I was worse than everyone else you know and that I shouldn't like bother people by speaking to them um, so I guess if I could change anything about my previous experience, it would be that I didn't feel so like lowly in comparison to people who had jobs already. Um, and yeah, I think that's a good way to, it's an important for your own wellness as well as your career progression to not go into these situations thinking that you're 
you're on the back foot all the time. That was writer Megan Nolan. You can find her on Twitter and Instagram at Megan Nolan and her novel Acts of Desperation is out now. I'll be back with another episode in two weeks. If you like this episode, please subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can give a small donation on coffee at ko-fi.com slash she's creative pod. You can find the podcast on social media at she's creative pod and I'm on social media at underscore Claire Hutch. See you next time.